The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Right now in fast, warning signs for Wall Street. Stark outlooks from some of the biggest consumer names sending stocks plunging today. Major indices all posting their worst drops of the year. The Dow going negative for 2023. Meantime, rates spiking higher. The tenure at its highest level since November, getting back within a whisper of the 4% mark. What all this means for your portfolio and why one top market watcher says we could be heading back to the October lows. Plus, bargain hunting for Teslas. The EV giant's cars have been... Uh, prices have been slashed in recent weeks, but is it enough to keep the buyers coming in? We'll dive into what it all means for the stock. And later on the mend, healthcare stocks riding their longest losing streak on record. But could the sector be ready to turn things around? We'll dive into the charts to find out. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site in the heart of Times Square on the desk tonight. Courtney Garcia, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Look at us sitting here on set. It's beautiful. Full house. You know what? something else. Oh, okay, yeah. You yeah, need yeah. like a lazy Susan. Wouldn't it be great we could put stuff in the middle and then we could spin just it? pass it around? Wouldn't it be fantastic? Like the candy bag or something? Maybe Nancy, who does an amazing job of floor directing, yeah. pick us one. She's fine. We'll, we'll put like waters. <laughs> She's fine. A water or coffee yeah, or gummy bears. Or, I apologize. Okay, well, please, we'll, please continue. We'll consider maybe the next that. commercial break. We start off with that market sell-off. The S&P 500 dropping 2%. The Dow falling nearly. 700 points, posting its lowest close in over a month. The Nasdaq seeing even bigger losses, down 2.5%. Meantime, yields across the board. The two-year Treasury posting its highest close since 2007. The move's coming after a couple of warnings from major retailers. First, Home Depot plunging more than 7% after missing on revenue for the first time since 2019. The company also saying sales growth this year will be flat. Walmart also giving weak guidance uh, even after posting a beat for the holiday quarter. The discount retailer warning inflation is meaningfully pressuring consumers. Shares ending the day barely positive. So is corporate America signaling consumers are closer here to a breaking point? What are we seeing here, Guy? Well, I think that's exactly right. What are we seeing? We're seeing exactly that. People are slowing down and valuations now matter in the retail space as well. I mean, Home Depot was not quarter at, it was the guidance that I think scared a lot of people. I've actually thought Walmart was okay. But then you look at a company like Dillard's, who a week ago was making an all-time high, down 17% on what was, again, a pretty sketch quarter. So what does it say? It says, Never, can, never question U.S. consumers want to spend, but are they in a position to spend? And clearly the answer is no. And as rates continue to go higher, as more disposable incomes get sort of bled away with inflation, there's going to be a problem for these retailers who are at a point now where they can't pass those costs. Yeah, I felt like as the day went on, people were more accepting of Walmart, thinking that the outlook was too conservative. At least they got through the inventory issue, which had been right. a big overhang. I thought Walmart was pretty good. I felt like they were um, in front of things. Mm-hmm. So to the inventory issue, exactly. I think that 
that they did talk about inflation. They talked about double-digit food inflation. Um, but the, I think they really had a handle on things. I thought it was good. I think to the issue of are they sandbagging, they practically said as much, right? So someone tried to get at that, and they gave an answer that was yes, basically, but not in those words. So I thought it was pretty good. Um, the Home Depot, obviously, different story. Walmart traded great in, in a yeah. horrible tape, and especially, obviously, versus Home Depot closing at the lows. And it's interesting, if you look at the day chart of Walmart, I mean, it gapped down a couple percent or so. It was trading worse in the pre-market, and then it got this ramp, and then it flatlined. Like, look at that right there. I mean, that is um, pretty impressive. That shows that there were some real buyers there, and they're making a decision to pay almost 23 times low single digits earnings and sales yeah. growth that was just kind of guided down to towards that range versus a Home Depot that's getting creamed down 30% from its 20. 21 all-time highs trading at a market multiple, which I think is interesting. One thing I'll say about the consumer, it's kind of interesting because inflation, we talk about this all the time here. Um, you know, wage gains are, are moderating here, right? And it's interesting, while inflation has come in and a lot of the pressures that affect consumers, they're starting to tick back up a little bit, right? So Guy just mentioned the savings rates going down here. This could be the trickiest spot for the U.S. consumer at a time where financial conditions now are getting uh, much tighter, especially with rates going higher. So so to me, I think it's really interesting to take um, each one of these uh, retail reports and then think about them a bit holistically when they're in the rearview mirror. It may not paint a great picture for Q2 and Q3 for the consumer. You really felt that when you t- when you listen to the commentary from the CEOs and the CFOs of these two companies. I mean, they were really saying the consumer right now is okay, but we see these yeah. things on the horizon, and the macro environment is just a little bit uncertain, so we have to guide lower. You have to, right? We've seen this before. I mean, we saw this last year with just so much uncertainty ahead. But right now, the consumer isn't having a problem. And I do think when you're seeing something like a Walmart, they are guiding, I think, ultra conservatively, right? I think that's why it bounced so much. And I think there was a lot of positives there. Like you actually saw their groceries department is actually doing better than a lot of their competitors, which means they're actually gaining market share. So yes, it's going to affect their earnings right now because it's not the margins aren't as good for them. But longer term, if they get those people to stay and they are getting some of your higher income consumers, it's going to benefit them. If we don't have this recession that some people are expecting, we have more money, the consumer stronger, that's better for them. If we do go into recession, more people are going to trade down to a Walmart. So yes, they, they might be impact here in the short term, but longer term, I actually think they're still well positioned. You hear, though, also the food companies talking about price increases, right? Like a General Mills today. We heard it from Pepsi quarter after quarter. And there's a squeeze that is going to happen at some point where they are raising prices, but you go to Walmart and you expect lower prices. So when does that, something's got to give at some point. Yeah, I think, we're th- I think we're there. I mean, they've been able, all these companies, I've said a number of times, you want to know where real inflation is? Listen to what General yeah. Mills says when they, you know, air quotes, organic growth. I mean, that's code for we're basically passing on our costs to you. That's where the real rate of inflation. Pepsi, the same thing. But we're at the, I think we're at that inflection point now where they're no longer going to be able to pass it on to the consumer. So they either eat it and that affects their margins. Or, I mean, what, you know, what's, where we're at a point now where if they can't eat it and they can't, then, then margins they just start make to, smaller packages. Then they just, which, which <laughs> no, is shrinkflation. I'm, shrink I'm not joking, of course. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So, you know, if they can do it in a way where you don't feel it, you don't really, it has the, the sort of look and feel of the old right. size. They put a lot of air in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one way around it. More but it is, know, right but the more you know. I mean, it's clear because <laughs> the old 16-ounce box of Cheerios, which I would eat at a sitting, is now down to 13 ounces. <laughs> and you notice. And I yeah. notice in a myriad hungry. of different ways. Yeah. Anyway, back but to how, you. But how scared should we be? I mean, because we saw Walmart trade well, 
but the rest of retail was really depressed the entire session. I think that's really a market story. I mean, listen, yeah. you know, I, I think, you know, and I'll just speak for Guy and myself here. I mean, we were kind of fighting, like, some of the animal, animal spirits that have, like, like, worked their way into the market this year. I think they were non-existent last year, and it just didn't seem to be lining up with some of the trends that we we're seeing economically. And, you know, um, so, so to me, I, I think the market was due for this. I think we might see a multi-day sort of thing. I think there's some data at the end of the week, uh, some consumer data, some housing data, you know, and, and any sign of it still being hot, you know what I mean? And any reads that the February jobs report is going to be hot the way the January, the 5%, you know, Fed funds rate is here to stay, people, for a while. And, and the Fed's going to have to follow through on that promise. And that's the thing that ultimately will weigh on S&P 500 earnings. And everything that we just talked about is also going to be hitting their margins. When you think about a lot of these companies, especially as they exhaust some of their ability to pass through these um, costs through, um, you know, to consumers. So to me, it's just not a great environment. And, you know, it's crazy. I'm looking at the S&P. It was down 2% today. It's up 4% in the year. I mean, listen, people, this thing was almost up 10 percent and it feels like we're going to be unchanged pretty soon and that's really going to test i think a lot of investors metals it seems like it's harder to take a message that we're getting from walmart and, and home depot and some others when the s&p is above 4,000, which is where we were before the open right i mean it's all where we are right now guy mm-hmm. which is why i say when i say price is truth it's not meant to be glib but the only thing we can base decisions on a lot of time in terms of trading is the price that something is trading at. We've been having a much different conversation right now mm-hmm. if the S&P was the 3,400 level that I happen to think it's going to as opposed to 4,000. It's scarier here at these levels because I think there's more of a downdraft on the downside. Can I just say something? Why you not? Said you're not meaning to be glib. I got an email over the weekend. Great email. Long, Nice long holiday weekend. No, somebody says to me, hey, how about trading the market you have, not the one that you want? And you know what, man? I'm going to say, I think that's like the dumbest comment I've ever heard in my life. What about what Gretzky used to say? <laughs> How about skating to where the puck is going, where it's going, not where it is, you know what I mean? And like to me, that's kind of what we're trying to do here is kind of read the tea leaves, put it together. You know, guys have been doing this for 48 years. I've been doing it for 25 years. I mean, there's a lot of stuff here that you can kind of glean. That rally, the first six weeks of this year was the one of the dumbest rallies I've seen in 25 uh, years in the business. And we'll see what happens. Yeah. One other interesting thing I thought about the earnings today was the billion dollars of increased labor costs that... Uh, Home Depot talked about. Mm -hmm. I'm not surprised that 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 happened. I am surprised that it happened right now. I don't know. I would have expected it before now, thinking that maybe things were, I I, I don't know, maybe the idea of things would slow a little bit. That's sort of interesting to me. Goes to the inflation Mm -hmm. question. Wage pressure is still there if you've got Home Depot out there increasing wages. Right. Yeah. Talking about that. All right, for more on today's big retail earnings, let's bring in former Walmart U.S. CEO Bill Simon. He also sits in the Darden Restaurants Board. Bill, always great to get your take on all things retail. Um, How do you read these uh, warnings about the consumer? Well, yeah, good afternoon. Uh, Interesting day, really. And I thought uh, your point that you just made about wage increases that uh, Home Depot was talking about is is really telling. If you sort of look at Home Depot's report and Walmart's report, you see food inflation really high and companies having to respond by pushing more wages in. And those two pressures, inflation and wage increases, offset the tight money policy that the Fed's putting in place. And on we go. Inflation, wage increase, inflation, wage increase. I want to you know, talk to you generally about retail, but I want to get your Walmart-specific take, Bill. And I'm wondering if you think Walmart was sandbagging with this full-year forecast, if they're just being overly conservative. You know, they tend to do that. And so uh, 
it, it's it's uh, it would be my my guess that they're probably going to do better than that. They tend to under promise and over deliver. Uh, I think the thing, especially on the top line, I think the top line because of inflationary pressures on their food business will grow. I think they've been struggling and have been for quite a while and not operating income. And I think that might be a little more challenging to them. But I think they'll grow and I think they'll beat the numbers they put out. Bill, Target's had a couple disasters over the last year, more than a couple, probably a few. Uh, how important a quarter is it for them just to sort of explain and to talk through the problems they've had on the inventory side of the ledger for, for almost a year now? Yeah, that's what I'm really anxious to see. Brian Cornell has a pretty good team over there, but they've been really struggling. They don't have the velocity and the traffic that's driven uh, you know, by that really big food business that Walmart has. So clearing out the inventory for them, it's going to take more time and it's probably going to take a little bit more money. So I'm curious to see how well they did there. It's a challenge. Bill, seeing uh, what rates are doing right now in, in terms of thinking about how consumers are dealing with higher debt burdens, for instance, uh, uh, inflation pressures in general that they have to deal with in daily life. If you had your druthers, would you be investing at all in retail these days? And I guess that's that's my way of asking you how bad you think the consumer will get in, in the short term. I think the consumer is resilient. They always have been. Okay. They always find a way to get what they need and what they want. Uh, it just doesn't always look the way that us retailers think it should look. And the one who figures it out and gives it to them wins. And right now, I think Walmart's doing that with their food business. Amazon's kind of struggling there. They haven't quite figured it out. The world's changed and they haven't been able to change quickly enough. But somebody will figure it out and good investors can figure out which companies are going to do that. Bill, it's Karen. Let me ask you something about Target. So just thinking about their mix versus Walmart's mix, obviously Walmart very food heavy. But they did talk a little bit about apparel and some of the other things that are a little higher margin being better. Do you think that could uh, lift Target's results? It could help. I mean, Target has a better, I think, apparel portfolio than Walmart. So if Walmart showed a little bit of resilience, I think there's some hope, hope for Target. That'd be one of the things that I'd be looking for on Target's release. Target also does really well in health and wellness, and Walmart reported some pretty decent numbers there, too. So maybe those two things will offset some of the hard lines, uh, shortfalls that they have. The real challenge for Target's going to be what does their inventory look like? They can, if they can't liquidate what they had, um, like Walmart did, or it's going to be difficult for them. I want to put aside Walmart and Target for a minute, Bill, and I'm wondering if there is another retail position that you have in your portfolio that you like right now. Uh, yeah, I'm probably on the retail sidelines until the smoke clears here myself. Ah. Okay, so that was the answer to my question before, Bill. <laughs> you're playing coy. <laughs> you're on the retail sidelines. But, of course, you're in Walmart stock, I assume. I'm not. You're not? Nope. Okay. Well, how long have you been out of Walmart? Uh, you know, uh, I've been in and out, but mostly out over the last four or five years. It's It's one of those things where... You know, you, you, I have a lot of confidence in the company and the management team there is terrific. And they always do seem to find a way to grow and evolve. But, you know, when you're when you're so personally and emotionally attached to something, I tend to not invest in it. So I like them and, and I care too much. So I, I, I don't tend to put a lot of money there. Sounds like a good investing strategy. Bill, always great to see you. Thank you. You bet. Bill Simon.
He's on the sidelines in retail. You know, there's a few names, and I think it was Tim who'd been a longtime shareholder in Nike and Starbucks, and we were talking about some of the moves that those stocks had had over the last few months, and I just thought they were kind of interesting, especially when you consider the valuations that some of those things were trading at. And I feel like, you know, again, this goes back to your question about were those, you know, Home Depot was obviously Home Depot specific. I think Walmart traded well, but the whole real, uh, real uh, retail space traded really weak today. I, I just feel like the ones that are expensive, the ones that ran ahead of the rally in general, I think they're vulnerable here. And I, you know, again, especially, you know, the market will start discounting what's going to happen in Q2 and Q3 pretty soon. And maybe today was the start of it. I don't think you have to put your finger on today. But those two reports, and I think the guidance in particular, they kind of give cover to smaller retailers to do the same going forward. And I don't think you necessarily can extrapolate this to everybody out there. I mean, there have already been retailers just this this earning season that have proven resilience. And I think some of this does come down to their brand strength because the consumer is becoming harder and harder to win over right now. So people have money, but they are being very strategic on where they're spending it right now. So, yes, maybe I have to buy more groceries and less electronics, and that's where Walmart's going to benefit you. Um, but I don't necessarily think this is bad for retail as a whole. I think that this is going to continue to be company specific. TJX before the bell tomorrow yeah. was made an all-time high a week or so ago. Trade it off today makes sense. Trading it at 23 multiple, that's going to be a real, I think that's a huge tell as to really what's going on in the consumer space. This should be a perfect environment for them. We'll know a lot more in 24 hours. Coming up, we've got a lot more after hours action. Shares of Toll Brothers and Coinbase on the move after reporting results. We'll bring you the details from the quarter's next plus healthcare healing. Could the trust be pointing to a strong prognosis for the group? The details when Fast Money returns. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Toll Brothers higher after posting a big beat on earnings, seeing revenues come in ahead of estimates. Let's get to Pippa Stevens with the numbers. Pippa. Hey, Melissa. Well, the home builder earning $1.70 per share during Q1, which was $0.29 cents ahead of estimates. Revenue slightly exceeding expectations at $1.75 billion. Now, the company also reaffirmed its full-year guidance and said that net signed contracts were also ahead of estimates, but down 51% year over year. Now, CEO Douglas Yearly saying, quote, since the start of the calendar year, 
we have seen a market increase in demand beyond normal seasonality as buyer confidence appears to be improving. That is much more optimistic than his commentary last quarter when he said buyers in many markets, Melissa, were on the sidelines. Back to you. Pippa, was he also including uh, beyond the quarter, beyond the end of that quarter? I'm just wondering because we saw mortgage rates go down, and so people want to sign contracts, but now mortgage rates are ticking back up. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of commentary around the time frame for those comments, and it has certainly varied quarter to quarter in line with the changing mortgage rates. But the call does happen tomorrow morning, so we will be listening for more on that. All right, Pippa, thanks. Pippa Stevens. I think they put out 8 to $9 of earnings, which I think was pretty good. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, I always think it's so hard to, how can you estimate what will happen in this environment? And yet they feel the need to. But if that's the case, then it's not crazy expensive at all. This is a very different housing cycle, I guess, certainly, right. than great financial crisis, obviously. And of course, these are higher price point homes, which yeah. makes a big difference. And they're running their business better. Gross margins were up 190 basis points year over year, so they're doing a good job on that front. And you just look through the numbers. It's pretty good. It's not really about, and I think we all agree, it's not necessarily a valuation story. The home builders never are. It's how well are they running and what are their backlog looks like. And the backlog is really strong. So these stocks have held in there relatively well. And i I, mean, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I still think you can own some of these. Toll Brothers, you can own here. Yeah, Court. Yeah, and I do think everybody has been waiting for this huge drop to happen in housing. And I just don't see that happening because there's this huge supply and demand issue. And a majority of housing is uh, existing homes, right? So people are already on their homes. But as mortgage rates are going back up to 7%, nobody wants to sell their home and get into a new mortgage rate, which just means more and more people are wanting these new builds. And so you actually are seeing home builds did just come down. But when you're looking at permits for new builds did just tick up. So you are actually seeing that that demand going forward. And I don't see that going away, especially as rates stay high here. And that is going to you know how it goes away, though? It goes away if unemployment goes above 4%. It goes away if we go into a recession that the markets are not pricing. I mean, right now, I'm just saying it's I'm a... Just 4%? Re- well, whatever. I'm just saying, like, okay. we're at 3.4%. Yeah. They just have to go right. higher. Okay, you know what I mean? Like, so, like, we're, we just... The whole market, everything is just priced a no landing scenario. And I mean, I, I guess that's the thing that, you know, just wait until the stock market's down in the year. Just wait until what the, what the multiple is going to look like on current S&P earnings. They're going to have less visibility, much less visibility in a couple of months. So, I mean, that's kind of my point is like, so I, we can talk about all these supply demand dynamics and this and whatever. We saw what happened after the pandemic. A lot of things got really weird and, you know, they reverted. And I think the housing thing is probably not done reverting yet. My only argument against that, however, is um, we're in this period right now where you have um, everyone's assuming that it's going to hit housing next, right? But I don't think you can necessarily assume this is the same housing market we saw in 08 and 09. I think your your consumers a lot better capitalized. Um, they have a lot better savings in hand. I don't necessarily see we're going into this dire scenario where even if we go into recession, what if it's a slower recession or a smaller recession? I don't think that's going to have this huge effect on the housing market like it did last time, which I think a lot of people assume can happen. I, I don't know if that's a safe assumption, to be fair. All right, let's get to another earnings alert here. This one on Coinbase shares of the crypto exchange turning higher after posting a revenue beat and a smaller than expected loss. Kate Rooney tracking the report with the conference call set to kick off in just a few minutes. Kate. Hey, Melissa. So Coinbase reporting a loss for the quarter. Trading volume still very much under pressure as crypto prices slumped in the quarter. We also saw that wave of high profile bankruptcies in this space. Trading volume and revenue were both down more than 70 percent from a year ago. Retail trading volumes were down even sharper with about an 89% drop. CFO Alicia Haas telling me on the phone that they're not seeing fee compression, though. That's really been the bear case for Coinbase fees for retail traders did go up in the quarter. And she says crypto market conditions are rebounding in the current quarter 
as Bitcoin prices have recovered. She called it somewhat of a stabilized period compared to where we were. It hasn't just fallen off a cliff, as she put it. We're seeing uh, what we've always seen with crypto, which is overall market volatility and market conditions that tend to drive a lot of that trading activity. Trading fees, guys, still really make up more than half of net revenue. But Coinbase did see better than expected subscription and services revenue. That was up 34% for the quarter and a boost from higher interest rates. Back to you. All right, Kate, thanks. Kate Rooney. Dan, what do you think? Uh, they probably benefited from uh, all the fraud and all the other exchanges that went on under, you know, in Q3, Q4, that sort of thing. I'll just say this, you know, the company um, expected revenues for this year down 15%. They were down 60% last year. Um, expected to do, I don't know, $3 billion maybe um, in revenue this year. And like uh, Kate just said, a lot of that comes from fee compression. That's happening. That's There's no way um, around that. And you think about this, the company's going to lose like $1.2 billion this year, you know. So I, I guess I wonder, like, what is the, the path to profitability for this model when you have the underlying asset so volatile and then you have all of this issue with regulatory costs are only going to go up and then the idea of competition will come back at some point because everyone's going to look at their margin and say that's my opportunity. It's actually declining revenue. You're going to have declining year over year revenues for, without question. I mean next year is going to be probably two and a half billion dollars and you talk about the absurdity of this market. It can be wrapped up in a nutshell with Coinbase went from 55 to 84 to 55 in the course of about two and a half or so weeks. I mean, this is not a small company. It's a $16 billion company. The stock should not trade that way, yet here we are having this conversation. To me, it's a no-touch. I know there are people out there that think Coinbase is the bank of the, the metaverse the or something. that it's, you know, all of these things. Yeah, well. They, NFT trading. Yeah, I'll be in my 90s, which is not that far away by the time <laughs> we get like there. next year? Yeah, well, no, nah, don't be that funny. Yeah, close, though. All right. There's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Healthcare on the mend? It's been a rough few months for the group, but could the sector be the right medicine for your portfolio? The details next. Plus, stocks selling off. And one top strategist says there could be even more pain to come. We'll dig into today's market action. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. XLV, the S&P healthcare ETF, falling by more than a percent today, down four plus percent since January. It's among the worst performing S&P sectors this year. The chart master updating his healthcare call over the weekend, pointing out that the sector has notched eight consecutive weeks of declines for the first time ever. He says now is the time to quote play for a bounce. So should you heed Carter's call? Karen, what do you think? Well, I, I am in it, so yes, I think you should. <laughs> I think that you know, a day like today is a good place to start because it had done well last year was seen as very defensive very um, not expensive at all big dividend yield all of that is still true but it was sort of left for dead while the go-go stocks and anything super levered didn't make money all of that were in vogue and now I still I never should have not been in vogue but that's okay I still think all of those things still exist and uh, held up nicely in a difficult tape 
I agree. Like when you say it should have never not been in vogue, I think what happened is everybody was very optimistic last year, and then this year came and everybody jumped into your really high-risk assets, which we, I think all of us kept saying, you really want to be wary of that rally, and now you're seeing all of that shift. Everybody's worried about inflation coming in and rates being higher, so now you're seeing a shift back towards things like healthcare. Um, and I think a lot of the fundamentals remain really strong. Like if you take a Merck, for example, they've actually spun off some of their lower-margin businesses, um, and they just are now going to be a lot more mean and mean, a lot more lean and mean, and have a lot of good pipeline um, as we look forward. So I. I would actually continue to play the healthcare space. UNH traded down the levels we saw in June has bounced. And I'm with Carter on this one. Mm-hmm. Eli Lilly is the one that people will look at correctly so. I mean, the stock's 60 bucks off its all-time high from 380 to this level. Yet if you go back to 2019, when it was $150 stock, we've seen moves of this magnitude to the downside six or seven times. It's not out of the ordinary. And as people got into Courtney's point, some of these high flyers and got out of their health care, they're going to circle back real fast in the healthcare. So I'm with CBW for sure. I mean, when you're looking at a more defensive market, for sure, it's going to become more in vogue as we're seeing rates go higher. And if we're actually in higher for longer, then that mm-hmm. is the time I would imagine for things like a healthcare to shine. I hope so. I think so. These multiples, I mean, are really well under the market. Now, maybe you could say it's a different kind of business, but I don't, and, I, and I think we'll see some M&A as well. Which could be a good thing or a bad thing. It could. Right? <laughs> if they overpay, right? yes. That's <laughs> always the case. That's right. all, no That's question. True. I mean, but with that said, I'll go back to the lore of fast money when. The lore of fast money. Johnson & Johnson bought Pfizer's health, consumer products business mm-hmm. for like $16 billion. And the price tag was, I think, 11 and a half, 12. And we talked about it on the show. What are they thinking? Turned out to be the bargain of a century for, for a company like J&J. Right. So deals that seem overpriced. Wind up working pretty wow. well in this space. I was space. thinking more like Gilead's. Gilead's, you know what? They have a balance sheet. And by the way, the CEO of Gilead, not that anybody here cares. Of the show? Georgetown graduate, class oh, okay. of 1986. Daniel O'Day. A more you know. D-Day, we used to call him. <laughs> Coming up. That's useful. Stocks <laughs> dropping hard as rates spike higher in the move. And junk bonds is catching one of our traders' eyes. We've got the details next. Plus, Tesla's been slashing prices on its EVs. And it's got other automakers scrambling to compete. But will the cuts bring in the sales? Don't go anywhere. More Fast Money right after this. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check in the market's worst day of 2023. The Dow shedding almost 700 points. Home Depot responsible for nearly 150 points of that drop. The S&P sinking 2%. The Nasdaq falling 2.5%. Yields meantime moving higher with the two-year over 4.7% and the 10-year nearly at 4%. And take a look at the HYG high-yield corporate bond ETF down at its lowest level of the year. Karen, you went short. Yes. I've been short, short for a yeah. while. I mean, go, early, for a long time. And I think, you know, part of the move today, obviously, is rates. I'm short this and the LQD, which is uh, bank loans. But I, I think that we haven't seen a credit cycle where the spreads start to really widen. That hasn't happened yet. And I think that it really could. And then we're also seeing debt that's going to be coming due and they're going to be able to refinance it probably fine, but at lot, a lot higher rates. So I think that adds to balance sheet stress. So to me, it seems like a decent hedge against things kind of going berserk. Yeah, it was interesting. BlackRock today was moving overweight, short-term treasuries, underweight, mm-hmm. or moving lower their uh, weighting on investment grade. I mean, short-term 
when you're talking about yields where we are, almost 5%, I mean, approaching right. 5%, with no risk to the principal, I mean, that just... We had Richard Fisher on last week, and, yeah. and you know his point about your credit being the big concern, and that has not broken, at, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting it's bad, but you know, Karen's spot on. And the 70 $70.40 was the low in the HYG, you think, in September. So a 73 handle, although it seems close, it's light years away in this instrument because it doesn't trade. So a one-point move in this thing today is big. But you start making moves like this on a consistent basis, then you have to get concerned. So I'm with Karen on this one. I think HIG goes lower from here. Our next guest believes we are getting closer to a recession in the coming months than that October low. Not really the low. Let's bring in Canaccord Genuity's chief market strategist, Tony, Tony Dwyer. Tony, great to see you. So great what kind of low are you bracing for? So well, why don't we just give it the data? So you open the show with how the two-year note yields at the highest of the cycle. We look back since it's been a 500 stock index and since 1957, and the S&P 500 has never made the low of a cycle when it's down more than 19% before the two-year made its peak. So with the two-year making the peak of the cycle so far, that tells you that October low wasn't the low. Okay, so then in the notes you say that the higher the two-year yield goes the more likely we are headed into a recession so does that mean you see that in the cards at this point and so a recession does what to the markets i do mel i think the soft landing scenario is because you couldn't disprove the the data yet in other words you go you don't go from super fast to a recession in a tick so it takes time to get there. So what ba- what we're basing our recession call on is the percentage of the yield curves that are inverted is at 80, almost 87%. All you need is 55% of them to be inverted to get into a recession. Even the soft landings of 1966, 1995, and 2016, the composite leading economic indicators were nowhere near um, as weak as they are now. Anytime the LEIs have been here, you've gone into recession. And then lastly, not just the money supply, but the bank lending standards have tightened to a level that, and the de- loan demand for CNI loans are at a level that have been associated with recession. So to me, the data is there for a recession. We just haven't had enough time to get there yet. Hey, Tony, so this is obviously backward looking if you're, you know, you have the data here, but do you have any sense of like when stock market um, in a bear market usually bottom in and around a recession? Because again, you know, this recession call by a lot of strategists and, and some investors too has been pushed out a little bit. You know, a lot of people were saying just a couple of weeks ago, we're in a new bull market and the bear's over. So I'm just curious if you're right about the recession, maybe in the back half of 2023, how do, how do the stock markets usually bottom before recessions or in them? Dan, it's a great question. They've never bottomed before a recession. So the mean, uh, the median number of weeks from the beginning of the recession to the S&P 500 low is 23 and a half weeks. So that's why this whole call has been about the recession and why it's so important to use that data I mentioned earlier. So we know that when the two years making a peak, the S&P has never made the low. Um, until after the two-year peaks, number one. That means the October low, isn't it? And we also know that the market has never um, bottomed before the recession even began. So, uh, but what I want to do, Mel, if I can, is be super clear here. We're a year, over a year into this bear market. I want to attack the next low. You, you don't get Armageddon negative now. We go back to that October low, and I want to attack it because it'll be when bad, finally bad news will become bad news. And that's typically when you make that recession-based low. 
And what takes us out then, Tony? Because I, I think, well, I mean, you know we admire your work a great deal. What takes us out from that bit? Like, what are you going to attack on the, on the aggressive side, on the long side? It's going to be the early cycle names, the financials, um, and the cyclical names, the, the economically sensitive names. The guy, it's really interesting. The soft landing scenario, to me, is one of the, it, it's not the best case scenario because we, we don't have to guess. We know exactly what's going to happen if you're in a soft landing. Inflation is going to remain elevated. The Fed is going to have to continue to tighten. And the market's going to, and risk is going to get hit. We don't have to guess. That's what happened over the last two weeks. Um, so I think I think what we really need is, unfortunately, to go into a recession to the point where the Fed will lower rates enough that it kickstarts a, a credit cycle. To Karen's point, not now when it's when we're about to enter a potential negative credit cycle. So Tony, how does the Fed pivoting, if at all, factor into this sort of recessionary overlay? I mean. A lot of strategists are, I don't want to say a lot, but some are, are banking on some market participants, certainly banking on some sort of a pivot, some sort of cutting, um, you know, later on this year or maybe early next year. Does that play into this at all? And, and does that change your outlook for when the market bottoms? It, it doesn't, Mel, only because when I look back, the only time that I can find after a tightening cycle where the Fed pivoted and it was the low was in 1995. Um, the last rate hike happened, I believe, in February of 95. The market was already ripping, and it just kept going straight up for the year. I think it was a 34% year. So when, when you look at that, it really comes down to you've got you've to go have the unemployment rate pick up. And you know you're in a recession historically when the unemployment rate is, is um, a half a percent for an average of three months above the low. So if we get a 3.9% unemployment rate, we know we're in a recession. If we know we're in a recession, we know we should be able to be about to make the low. And that creates the opportunity for a real sustainable bull market and a change in that money. The problem is mm-hmm. money. It's not It's not just uh, the thought of money. There's, there's The money system has shut down. Tony, great to see you. Thanks. Great to see you, Mel. Thanks, guys. Tony Dwyer, Canaccord Genuity. Um, you know, some more bullish people might have argued that the markets had looked through this, that the October low was them pricing in the recession that was yet to come because it's a forward-looking mechanism. Did you ever buy that, Courtney? I think there's parts of the market that are going to continue to do well, right? I think it's it's hard to look at the market as a whole. And I do think it's hard because we're looking at talking the soft landing or the hard landing. And the big crux there is what's going to happen with unemployment. And I still do find it tough to see where we're going to get to that higher unemployment right now. Because you're seeing, like even fascinating today, we saw Home Depot came out and nobody liked their earnings. But they're hiring more people and increasing their wages. So that you have a lot of that happening in industries. So yes, you have your big tech firms who are laying off. But there's still plenty of parts of the country who can't hire enough people. And so I don't know what the catalyst is to get there to bring unemployment up enough, to bring us to the recession, to bring us to a harder landing. And yes, is a possibility, but I, you know, I'm not convinced it's happening yet. Yeah. Karen? I agree. I think, I mean, uh, to me, the employment thing is a big, used to be, I mean, 3.4 was absolutely well below what yeah. maximum employment used to right. be, right? Four handle, middle fours, mm-hmm. maybe. So I would think that this economy can withstand some meaningful move in employment that actually would, Doesn't that would make help a, the Fed's story. That, 
No, it, it hurts the Fed story. It makes it so much harder for them to, you know, like it, it basically means that Fed funds is going to have a five handle for much longer than I think the stock market can endure at the valuations it is at. And just the other thing, I mean, Why? like, Why if, if, more if unemployment, unemployment remains depressed. Is it- Oh, is that what you're saying? Yes, okay, I said. I was yeah, saying, I just think it makes it makes the Fed's job really hard. I know you feel the same way. I mean, it just I, I just think it's just you know it's one of those things. That, and let's just be frank. Okay, we talked about Chipotle a couple weeks ago. They're hiring 15,000 workers in North America. These are workers they can fire so quickly, and they will fire so quickly if there is a recession. So I mean, to me, I, I just think that with unemployment, if we still get hot readings and we have unemployment below three and a half percent or so, it makes the Fed's job yes, that much harder. I agree. I was saying if in, uh, if it, yeah. unemployment rises. But yeah, but she's saying that it's going to stay low forever, right? Isn't that what you're saying? Like, you think that the, you know, we can actually have a soft or no landing because unemployment's not going to go up. I can see employment staying lower for longer, correct? But you're right, it does make the Fed's job harder, which is why we probably are going to have higher interest rates for longer. And that's exactly where you need to look at the markets. All these longer duration assets are going to continue to be under pressure. So Uh, yes, I think we're saying the same thing. I mean, for June, 5.3%. Is where Fed funds sit right now. Three weeks ago, it was 4.9 mm-hmm. or something. I mean, like the the change in psychology, which is probably what the markets need. It's it's amazingly fast. And they, it's exactly right. It's exactly what they need. It's sort of like the come to Jesus moment right. where they yeah. realize, right. wait a second, we're not going to get out of this situation as fast as we want to. I'm with you. I don't think unemployment's going to move. Me- they, they, the Federal Reserve, I think they want a five handle. They would never say that. That's what they need. They're not going to get it. And that's the problem. I mean, because wage growth continues. Inflation is a problem. You're going to see it in the numbers later this week. And they're trying to combat something that everybody seems to think is an easy fix. It's not that easy, which is why rates are going to stay higher right. for longer. And people are just starting to come to that realization now. Coming up, the EV price wars are heating up, but what will Tesla's price cuts mean for the competition? We'll bring you the trade next. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla's cheapest auto is getting cheaper. The EV company's Model 3 is currently selling for nearly $5,000 less than the average new car in the United States, according to analysis from Bloomberg. That is after two recent price cuts and before the $7,500 EV tax credit put in place by the Biden administration in January. Shares of Tesla were down more than 5% today, back below 200 bucks a share. That's really, thre- I mean, that's amazing to think about, that it's cheaper than the yes. average U.S. U.S. car. Really interesting right. to think. Now, let's talk about the stock quick. And here comes yeah, yeah. the I hate guy portion of the show, which I'm fine Wait, with. Not by not us. No, no, no. Not like well, that's typically the whole show. Yeah. No, this the viewing audience. Uh, so the move in test we've talked about, I mean, 100% move in the course of time that did is, is remarkable. Mm-hmm. But we also said, you know, 225 is a logical place for it to stall. So we topped out in October. Then we cratered. So what's a 50% retracement of that move? 165. That makes a lot of sense in this backdrop. And we can have another conversation there. So I missed it after earnings. I thought you absolutely pulled a ripcord into earnings. That was $60 or so ago. With that said, you got to trade the stock where it is now. And I think it goes lower from here. I don't know about the stock. I'm more thinking about the strategy of, uh, to me, I don't know whether this is a demand issue or not. But even if it is, I think that it's a really, really aggressive move for them. Look, we're, we are the front runner by far here. Yeah. We have got to get our either our repeat customers or new customers to be in the Tesla family and not lose that because maybe we'll never get it back. And so even if it's even if they don't need to do it, 
I view it as a really aggressive move from a business standpoint, which I would probably do too if I were. So the question is, is it about demand, which you just asked rhetorically, but I'm going to answer that. I mean, it has to be. I mean, when you think about, they just shut down the Shanghai plant. We know that you know 40% of their cars or like 50% of their production is coming from there. Why did they cut prices late last year? At a year? certain point, just, that does it not matter that it's about demand if you can attract the customer in. Maybe. Right, and you can boost volume. But is this a margin story? Win over the customer. Maybe, but it's a, if this is a margin story, a gross margin is supposed to be 22 percent well, down from like 25 and a half percent. So yeah. what does this do for that? It trades at you know 250 thousand dollars per car that they've sold. That is what the market cap is to date. So if that growth is going to slow, if there's going to be margin pressure, I mean, you guys know where I stand here. I just think that doing all of this, this is this is a move in face of all the competition that's coming online, and the, the competition is finally here. That's been a story or a pillar of the bear case. And so maybe this is just to counteract that. All right. Coming up down today, but uh, on a tear this year. NVIDIA out with earnings tomorrow. What are the options markets predicting? We'll bring you the action next. Stick around. Much more Fast Money in two. We try to fight inflation. You know, our purpose is you've called out several times is to save people money and help them live better. Um, To do that, we try to find ways to bring them a value, and private brand plays a big role in that, whether it's in food or it's in general merchandise like apparel. That was Walmart CEO Doug McMillan talking with our very own Jim Cramer. Catch the full exclusive interview on Mad Money, top of the hour. And we've got another big week of earnings on deck. Chip giant NVIDIA is up after the bell tomorrow. Options traders are expecting a big move when the results cross the wire. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike. Yeah, NVIDIA is implying a move of a little over 7% by the end of the week after they report earnings. That's in line with the moves that we've seen over the past eight quarters. Bearish sentiment actually outpaced the bullish sentiment today. The most active contracts were the 200 strike puts that expire at the end of this week. Almost 20,000 of those traded for an average of approximately $4 a contract. Buyers of those puts are obviously betting that the stock is going to fall after earnings. Mm. Guy, what do you think? Trades at 17 and a half times revenue, close to 50 times next year's numbers. The stock has rallied over 100 percent since the lows from the fall. Uh, they got to pull a rabbit out of the hat, which if you are, Dan, I know you're a fan of this. Remember Frosty the Snowman, yeah. the guy that pulled the rabbit yeah. out of the hat? Did that but really had, happen? And Frosty the, the Snowman. snowman. Yeah, I don't remember that. Yeah, he had all the kids around him and yeah, no. pulled the rabbit out. It's the wrong time of the year as well. Yeah. Yeah. With that said, I don't know if they got a rabbit, and they certainly don't have a hat. So I think the stock probably goes lower. But <laughs> there's at this valuation in this environment, it's, I'm hard pressed to believe the stock. The can, environment yeah. is tough, right? With rates as high. Yeah. Well, you know, listen. Big narrative, right? That they're the benefit of all this chat GPT yes. stuff and everything like that. Well, that fever is kind of broken, I think, for now. So I think maybe some of that uh, excitement comes out of the stock after the print. All right. Thanks, Mike. Mike Coe for more options action. Tune into the full show that is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Final Trade Time. Courtney. Um, I'm going to go with Toll Brothers here. I've actually talked about this, but I think this housing trade, I think, is um, a lot more pessimistic than needs to be. I think this could be a good play here. Karen. Yes, uh, we talked about it a lot today. If this frenzy part of the market run is over, then I want to be where Carter wants to be. He agrees with me. XLD. <laughs> Healthcare. Uh, yeah, NVIDIA, I would not chase this one. I'm a guy here. I think you're going to see this thing back towards those December highs and that's what just. Remember in Coming to America, the scene of Madison Square Garden? I'm going to say right when, off the bat. I when Eddie Murphy remember. said, in the face. That's what Courtney just <laughs> did know, to with Dan the with the toll. With the toll. She didn't even acknowledge it. It was beautiful. 
It was beautiful. In the I think Devin comes out DVN. I think it bottomed last week. Worth a look there, Melms. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.